Okay, so I'm excited about what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about failure. I want to talk to you about failure. Okay? And failure is not final. Now, a lot of us are very hard on ourselves. Okay? A lot of us are very hard on ourselves because we think that if we mess up, then we're done. It's over. We think that if, it hap- if we did one failure, we messed up one time, then it's over and, and God is going to sh- kill us, strike us dead. But I want to talk to you tonight that failure is not final. Okay? Failure is not final. So there have been times in all of our lives where we've experienced the pain of poor choices. I, my poor choices. Anybody had poor choices? You did something that's like, why did I even do that? Or, hey, listen, you thought something, and you thought, I'm going to say this. And, and, and this small filter in your brain kicked up and said, don't say it. But there was this bigger hammer in your brain that destroyed that filter and said, no, I'm going to say it. And when you said it, you saw the person's face. And while you're in the middle of saying it, you know you shouldn't have been saying it. Did that ever happen to anybody? I've, it's, I've done it. And you're in the middle of And then your stinking pride is so, you're so arrogant that you think, I can't stop now. I just might as well finish it. And then you feel about this tall. So we all have poor choices. We've done poor, spoke poor things, poor... We've done bad actions. In these moments, it can be easy to entertain a notion that I've blown it, God can't use me, and there's no hope for restoration. All of us face these feelings about failure. But during these times, we draw strength from God's Word where He tells stories of heroes of faith who have blown it. There are people that are in Hebrews chapter 11. Mark in your Bible, if you believe in marking in your Bible. Have you come to that yet, Kevin? Are you marking in your Bible yet? You're standing strong. Okay. But if you do mark in your Bible, go to the Hebrews chapter 11 and mark that. Right across the top of that. That is the hall of fame of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 lists all of these awesome people who did wonderful things for God. Hey, what time did you guys get out last Wednesday night? Eight o'clock? I thought I was going to try to beat that, but I don't know if I can beat eight o'clock. But I'll, I mean, think I can? I got 26 minutes. This will be a 12-part series here. Okay. So listen. You read about Abraham... You read about David. You read about all these heroes of faith in in Hebrews chapter 11. Then it gets to the part where there's people that aren't even named. And they were fed to lions. They They were sawed in two. Do you know the prophet Isaiah was sawed in two? With a saw. Cut in half. Long ways. That, that takes a lot of faith to stand and do that. 
But have you ever heard of a guy named Abraham? Abraham was awesome, wasn't he? But he was also a liar. He lied at least twice. He lied to a king in Egypt named Abimelech, and he lied to another king, a Pharaoh. Twice. Because both of those men saw Abraham's wife, Sarah, and apparently she was a hottie. Apparently she was a woman to look at. She was eye candy. And these kings were, took her and put her, put her in their palaces and had planned on marrying her because Abraham was too weak to tell them, that's my wife. Oh, praise the Lord. That's my wife. Because he said, if I say she's my wife, they're going to kill me. So he had fear. He was afraid. And then he lied and said, she's, she's my sister. And God had to wake up these kings. God had to wake up the kings in their sleep and say, you're a dead man because you have another man's wife in your palace. How about it? But Abraham's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. He's there. Abraham is there in the Hall of Fame of Faith. So let's go on. Let's see what else is in there. So these guys blew it. In some cases, their failures are so extreme, it would be natural to say that God would have the right to turn his back on them. Okay? But that isn't God's nature. God's not like that. Okay? God is not like that. God is not going to kill you after your first mistake. God is not going to wipe you out when you mess up. He's not going to do it. He's all about redemption. Look at your neighbor. Tell him God's about redemption. God's about redemption. What does redemption mean? He wants to bring you back from where you were. That was wrong. He wants to redeem you. He wants to help you. Okay? God wants to redeem you. Now, that doesn't give us a license to go out and do whatever we want and live like hell and do what all, raise all kinds of hell raising, you know what I'm saying? Live like some of you used to live. Wild child. Wild thing. You made somebody's heart sing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those were the days. Huh? yeah. Now you don't walk near as fast and your skin is saggy now. Yeah. You look in the mirror and think, well, it's hidden. That guy's hidden in there somewhere deep. I mean, I, like I said before, I used to have jaw lines, you know. Now it's just, never mind. All right. So when we fail, we can be thankful that God loves a comeback story. God wants to make us a comeback story. Paul reminds us of that. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he said, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We've all been called according to God's purpose. Each of us have a plan. Each of us have a destiny over us, a book of destiny that God's trying to do in us. He's trying to work something out in us. God's trying to work something out in you. The devil's trying to bring failure into your life, and then failure brings doubt and you say, I don't know if God can use me the way I've been acting. I don't know if God can use me the way this has been happening in my life. But always remember, God's into comebacks. God's into redemption. This should give us hope that no matter 
what we may have done, our adventure is not over. Our destiny isn't over. God's working on reclaiming our story. So we're going to talk about five biblical people, characters, five people in the Bible. Not all of them tonight. Take a deep breath. Relax. I won't have you out here by eight. Danny was, must have been on supersonic speed last week. Five of them. Five individuals that had failures, but they weren't fatal. They were some big failures, though. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if any of you ever committed murder. Anybody a murderer in here? Let me put my, I took my glasses off so I can't see if you respond. Okay. I don't know. One guy was a murderer. One guy was a conspirator. One guy committed adultery. And God still used him. God still blessed him. God still worked through him and with him. So let's look at these guys. So failure is not final. Amen? First one, it's a guy named King David. Ever heard of him? King David. He was in the lineage of our Lord. In fact, they referred to Jesus as what? Thou son of David. Blind Bartimaeus, when he was standing on the side of the road, and he heard Jesus was walking by. Of course, he couldn't see, you know, because he was blind. You get it? I was in Bible college years ago. And we'd go out, we'd have what they, we call crusades, and we'd go to churches for a weekend. We'd go to churches all over Texas and Louisiana, a group of us. And one guy was preaching one, one day from Acts chapter 3, and he got it all messed up. Listen, the last thing you want to do is be with a bunch of college guys and you preaching and you're messing it up. It is. While he's preaching, he preaches the whole sermon from Acts chapter 3 and nobody corrected him about the blind man at the gate. Now you say, well, what about the blind man at the gate? There's just one problem. That it, when Peter and John looked on him, they said, look on us. When he got to that verse, he said, oh, I guess he wasn't blind. Yeah, there you go. How would you like to have that for your Sunday morning sermon? Mm-hmm. And about the time somebody says, I just want to be a fruitful Christian. One guy, I just want to be a fruitful Christian. And there's about six guys sitting on a pew from the college. And then about 15 minutes later, here comes a picture on a piece of paper of a banana. A picture of a banana that somebody drew. Being a fruitful Christian. Yeah, they're tough on you. We're talking about failures. Talking about embarrassment. Talking about making mistakes. King David made some mistakes. He's probably one of the uh, more important figures in the whole Bible. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. It is easy to be inspired by David's youthful willingness to fight a Goliath, to fight a giant. He had a tender friendship with the king's son, Jonathan. He had worshipful psalms. He had an enduring patience under wicked King Saul and ministered to him in music. It's almost hard to fathom 
that this beloved character who's spoken so highly of in more than half of the books of the Bible would also be guilty of breaking half of God's commandments. So this guy who is mentioned in half the books of the Bible broke half of God's commandments. Now, if you're in here tonight and you, you've done broke half of God's commandments, you don't have to tell me about it, okay? You just keep it between you and the Lord. But I want to tell you that if you've broken half of God's commandments, God still wants to use you. God still wants to work in you because that failure is not final. When the prophet Nathan confronts David of his depravity, he immediately repents. He confesses his sins. When the son that is born to David in Bathsheba gets sick, David fasts, he prays, and he mourns his sin in an effort to see God heal the boy. But when the child dies, David simply receives that outcome that this is God's judgment. And he gets up and he begins to live his life again. So let's look at some of the things that David did. First one, David coveted Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. And it came to pass in the evening time that David rose from off of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a, beautiful, or saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So, you, there are several things here in this passage that says, Warning, warning, warning. Rio, 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 okay? The sirens are going off. The first one is this. David is up there in the evening, and he's walking around on, the, on his roof. They have flat roofs then. And he sees this woman bathing herself. He should never have been looking at her. In fact, a scripture or so before that, it was said that it was at the time when the kings went to battle. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes you've got to make sure that you're in the right place. You know where the right place is? At 746 on a Wednesday night in Vandalia, Illinois. You know where it's at, Frank? Yes, right here. Ding, ding, ding. Frank's got two points. Now, are you seeing what I'm saying? Have you ever, has something bad ever happened in your life and you knew immediately, I should have never came here. I should have never been here. We all have some of those. So David is in the wrong place at the right time. And then he sent to inquire who she was. When he found out that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he should have stopped right there. But... He didn't. He commits adultery with her. 2 Samuel eleven four, And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. Guess what? 
it was not legal for even the king to have another man's wife. It's still not legal for another man to have another man's wife. And let the church say amen. Oh, come on, I'm going to give you another shot. And let the church say amen. amen. Thank you. That makes me feel like I'm doing something right here tonight. I just read a survey today of the Barna Group. Now, the Barna Group is a research team and, and company that researches religious trends in the United States and in the world. The church now, 46% of the church believes, 46% of the church believes that sex before marriage between two consenting adults in a committed relationship is okay. What was that? You're trying to get more points, aren't you, Frank? He's trying to get to 10 points before he leaves here. But 46%, that's almost 5 out of 10. Almost half of the church believes. The church. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. As, let me say it the way you would understand it here. Yuns. 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 Okay, let it be y'all. Y'all. Ginger, you guys. You used to. But you used to. I was there. You used to say use. I used to say use. Use. Now, 46%. Maybe that's why we have powerless churches. Maybe. Maybe that's why we have problems in our lives. Well, I'm trying to. <laughs> you see, what? things have changed in our society. Things have changed in our world. Now, what would cause the world, the church, to believe, half of them, that it's okay for people who are in a committed relationship before they're married to have sex? I'll tell you what is really antiquated. It's really antiquated when, when uh, a man and a woman are dating and then they get engaged. It's really antiquated for somebody in their spiritual world to say, now you know you're not supposed to have sexual relations before marriage. Hey, I tell you, the amen corner is deaf tonight because they ain't hearing what I'm saying. Now, you know what I'm saying? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That's why, listen, you know, that is why this whole world is messed up. This whole world today is a freak show. Okay? It's a freak show because... People don't realize that sexual relationship was made to consummate the marriage vows. And it was to be between one man and one woman for the rest of their lives. Boy, now that is old-fashioned, isn't it? Wow. That is old school. 
But that's what the Bible said. In fact, you can, and, and we were talking about this the other day at, at the table. We have some interesting conversations at the table. We were talking about lying and cheating and shoplifting and being angry and gossiping. All those are sins. All right, they're all sins. But there is a different type of sin when it comes down to adultery and fornication. Because the Bible says they are against the body. Thank you, Ginger. I'm out here. I'm all alone. I'm paddling through the ocean. You got eight minutes till you're, we're past Danny, okay? I know we're not going to be. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm saying that when you have sexual relations with somebody, the two become one. Now, I don't have time, and I haven't, I, I really don't want to blow your, the hair right off of your head tonight. But I could go into what's called soul ties. Because not only do you become one physically, but there's also a transfer of spirits. You're like in anatomy 101 here, you know? There's a transfer of spirits. And then, if, if, you're, uh, if you do, do that with ten other people, and then you finally get married to the woman of your dreams, the problem is that there is a soul tie with the nine before her. I'm trying. Does this make sense? I got word for all of this. That's why, that's why sexual immorality, that's why sex is so powerful, is because God meant it to be powerful as the bonding agent and the bonding seal between a man and a woman for the rest of their lives, for, through sickness and in health, through richer and poor, until death do us part. Mmm. 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 And David's having issues up here. Do you know what God said, though, about David? When he described David, I believe it was in Acts, that David was a man after God's own heart. What he just did. What are we, what? As Pete would say, What? Amy and I were standing in the kitchen the other day, and she just turned around and she said, oh, I miss Pete. I said, I do too. I can't even believe I'd ever say that. He drove me crazy. I said, Pete, you're driving me crazy. We had to drive to Springfield one night for a hospital visit. He said, Pastor, I'll, t I'll take you. I'll go with you. It was going to be a late night. Or I, I didn't get home until 4 or 5 in the next morning. But it was like July, 
but we couldn't run the air conditioner in his car. I said, Pete, it's like 105. It's dark. It's 105. Why can't we run the air conditioner? We're saving it, Pastor. What are we saving it for, Pete? He said, we're saving because it'll last longer if we save it. I said, my God, Pete, I'm melting over here in this seat. So about halfway home, it, Pete got tired about Hillsborough. We went to Springfield about Hillsborough. I said, Pete, I'll drive. I wasn't worried about Pete getting sleepy because when, when he fell asleep, the air came on in old Pete's Mercedes. And I'm telling you, the air was cold because he had been saving it so long. I was thankful he saved it. But here we go. So the church, where do, where do church people come from? Think about this. The people that come to church here, you, me, where do we come from? The world. We don't go to the store and buy church people. They come from the world. And we're all sinners. We're all failures. We've all been redeemed, which is God is into redemption. We just talked about that, right? And so what happens is we come in and we get redeemed, but yet there's times, that's why 46% of the church world believes that, that uh, sexual promiscuity amongst committed couples is okay because that hasn't been redeemed out of our thinking yet. But that's because it's been carried over. It's been carried in. Does that make sense? It's like people, people who live in all of these cities that are burning down. You know, they've all been run by a certain party for 50 to 75 to 100 years. And finally, when they get sick of it, they say, I'm going to move. I'm leaving New York, and I'm moving, to, I'm moving to Texas. Or I'm moving to Virginia. Okay? The problem is then, suddenly, Virginia, after so many years, starts voting the same kind of people in that was in New York. Why? Because the people that left New York brought their politics with them. Virginia used to be a red state. Red. I know, we have family, lots of family in Virginia. Now Virginia is a blue state. In fact, the Virginia legislature has just passed and changed the law that you can assault a police officer, a corrections officer, a judge, and as long as there's no bodily harm, it's just a misdemeanor. A fireman, a first responder, that's scary. But you see, our thinking has to be redeemed as well. How do I get on all that? So David commits adultery. You want to hear about divorce and remarriage? You want to hear that? I might as well just blow the rest of your head off your shoulders, right? From the beginning, there was no divorce. There was no divorce from the beginning. When God put Adam and Eve together, it was Adam and Eve. Done deal. Divorce did not come about until Moses. Because if you look in the New Testament, when Jesus talks about divorce, he said from the beginning it was not so. But because of the hardness of the hearts of the people, he said, I allowed them 
to be able to get divorced because of one thing. What do you think it was? Six points, Frank. Two more questions and you're at ten. You got it. Adultery. Okay? And then he said, adultery happens when one of the spouses leaves the other and has an adulterous affair, sexual relations, with another married spouse. Or if it's a non-married person, it's called, you go to eight points right now. Begins with an, I'm not going to say that. It begins with an F, but it's a long word. Huh? Yes, fornication. You're up to eight, Frank. You guys get him to ten, we'll leave. We'll we'll be done tonight. Okay? So adultery is when a married couple splits up and one of those people has an affair, a sexual affair with another married couple, another married person. Sometimes they do marry. That way ain't going there tonight. Okay? If the other person is unmarried, to them it's fornication. But from the beginning it wasn't like that. But the devil has messed everything up. And so people come into the church, watch, who have had sexual relations with 20, 30, 40, 100 people. And then they finally get married, and then they're, 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 they're uh, comparing husband Lou here to the other 100 men that she had in her life. And poor Lou can't keep up. Like Willie Nelson, to all the girls I've loved before, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that causes trouble in the marriage. Is this okay? I wasn't planning on going into all this tonight. I was keeping it to myself. I was really keeping it to myself. I've been locked up for two weeks. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin gave me an escape. The Lord used, used him. And I'll tell you what I really have trouble with. I'll tell you what I really have trouble with. Is I really have trouble. Like I said, I have been on Facebook more in the last six, five, four months than I have in the last six years, ten years, I don't know. But when I see sin, and I see wrong on Facebook, and I see church people Liking and loving it. Ho, 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 ho. It starts in my feet. I'm not going to like adultery. I'm not going to like fornication. I'm not going to like when a parent leaves a family and children to go be with someone else. And and you liking it? And loving it, there's something wrong here. And pastor has problems with it. And I've had, I've had preacher friends liking, loving stuff. And I try to follow peace with all men. And then, and then it finally gets a hold of me. And so... I just kind of send them a text, a preacher friend. And I say, um, hey, 
can you help me out with something? So see, I used to fish a lot. And I know that if I put the right bait in the water, I'll set the hook. Well, if I'm your friend, Frank, and I text you and say, can you help me with something, what do you want to do? Boy, you're at 10 right now, brother. You got it. Okay, what do you need? And that, when I set, and I get, then I set the hook. I say, well, I see that you liked such and such. I'm having trouble liking that. Can you tell me what I'm supposed to like there? Ho, ho, ho. You talk about stuttering in text. Oh, pastor, you wouldn't do that. I've done it to about three or four so far. Say, I need some help here. I'm not understanding all this. Maybe you can shine a light on this. Some, someday sin is going to get judged. But not, it, it's, and, and we, we're fooling ourselves. You know, David was in the heat of the moment here. And we're fooling ourselves thinking that it's all going to be okay and we're all going to get by with it. Oh, there's coming a day where he will no longer be a savior. He'll be a judge. Grace and mercy will be gone. You know? Grace and mercy will be gone. And fire and judgment will flow. And so, I'm talking to you tonight. Whew, I got to get back on my notes. Because I'm feeling some... It's just three or four, yeah. Yeah. So David commits adultery here. So he coveted her, committed adultery. That's two commandments right there. Watch, he steals her. Second Samuel 12. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword. That's murder. Thou shalt not kill. That's another commandment. And has taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. David had it all figured out. If it wouldn't have been for God snitching on him, David would have got by with it. But you've got to watch when God's around, and he just tells a crazy prophet. And here comes old Nathan into the palace to see David. Oh, my Lord. And David thinks everything's all right. And David said, he lied to him, to Uriah. David says to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow, and I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the, and the morrow. And when, he, and when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. Now, David pulls Uriah off of the battlefield. And he says, I'm going to send you home. Uriah doesn't go home. He stays there. And then David says, come on in. And the Bible says that he made him drunk, and at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. David, watch this. Can you believe this kind of stuff's in the Bible? This is like a soap opera. David gets Uriah drunk. So Uriah will leave and go home and be with his wife. And then he'll be with his wife, and they'll do the wifey marriage family thing, and then the baby will be Uriah's. Whoa, they didn't have 23 and me. They didn't have DNA. 
But Uriah was a noble man. He says, I can't go, to, I can't go home. I've got to stay here with my soldier buddies. We're at war. Well, that's just messing up all of David's plans. And eventually he has him murdered. Whoa! 2 Samuel 12, 9. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Nathan the prophet walked in there and he said, Hey, king. He said, I want to tell you a story. He said, There was a great man that had many sheep. He had all kinds of sheep. They were beautiful sheep. They were fine sheep. And this man had anything that he wanted. And he saw a sheep, one sheep that a man had. And he wasn't happy with all of his sheep until he went down and took that sheep from the man. And David stood up on his throne. And he said, let that man be killed that took that one sheep from that man. Oh, and that's where the good old preacher comes in. David, you're the man. You talk about a failure. This was supposed to be a very uplifting lesson tonight. I hope you're uplifted. Okay? Here's the principle of it. Failure doesn't get the last word. Okay? I just laid a whole bunch of stuff on you tonight, and please, if you've got to go back and watch this again, you might have to because I said some stuff. Ooh. Failure does not get the last word. When we have sinned, we have to recognize it and repent. When you mess up, you've got to repent. When you mess up, you have got to praise your way back into his presence. Okay? Because when you sin and you come into church, you feel like trash. I don't know, maybe you don't. I did. If I sinned and came into church, I felt like, I, I felt like scum between his toes. You know? And the devil says, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this. God's not going to forgive you. But if you ask God to forgive you, and you seek him in praise, God will forgive you. God will restore you. God's forgiveness doesn't save us from the consequences of our conduct. But we have abandoned the behavior and are willing to accept the consequences. God will still use us because he still used David. Amen? Failure is not final. So no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been doing, no matter your past, you're in a place where you can still go to your future. Oh, the devil wants to slow you down, and the devil would like to take you out, and the devil would like to detour you from the destiny God has for you. But if you come back to God, ask for forgiveness. God will do it. Amen? Let's stand. It can't handle any more tonight. I just, I mean, I dropped bombs. Bombs.
And Frank got to 10 points. I think Frank won because I don't know if anybody else scored. Failure is not final. Next time we come, I don't know if you saw this or not, but Elijah the prophet had a breakdown. He had a breakdown. And all he wanted to do, you know what he wanted to do? Can anybody guess, Frank? This is the bonus question. When, when Elijah had his breakdown, do you know what he asked God to do? Nope, you missed it. Kill him. He said, just let me die. Just let me die. I just want to die. Anybody ever been there? I did when I was six years old, and I did something my dad didn't like, and he gave me a whip and sent me to my room. I was so heartbroken, I said, oh, God, just let me die. There's no reason a six-year-old should have got his hiney whipped and sent to his room. Why didn't he think about time out? That's probably why I wasn't very strong in math growing up, because my parents never counted for me. They just whipped the fire out of me. Amen. I hope this helped you tonight. I hope you got something from it. Failure is not final. And this guy is in half of the books of the Bible. So let's just say he's in 33 books of the Bible. David, he's mentioned in 33 books. And he broke five commandments. He committed adultery. He coveted. He conspired. He lied. He murdered. And God said, he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because David turned it around. That's what we got to do. Turn it around. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight, and I just pray that we all realize that failure is not final and that you have a plan and a purpose for all of us. And yes, we make mistakes, and yes, we do things wrong. And God, there are things in our past that we cannot go back and change, but we have to realize that those are under the blood. Those are forever under the blood. The devil tries to pull them up out of the blood, Maybe our friends try to pull up, up out of the blood from, uh, for us. And, Lord, sometimes we even pull them out ourselves. But, Lord, you said that you would cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And you said you would remember them no more. So, Lord, if you can remember our sins no more, and you can do everything, and you can do all things, then, God, if you can forget them, We need to forget them as well. So I pray, Lord, that you give us all amnesia about our past. I pray, Lord, you give us all forgetfulness of our past and move into our spirits tonight and encourage us in the name of Jesus. Let your spirit, God, grow in us tonight. Raise up in us and let us realize that, Lord, all of our failures are just going to give us a stronger platform to launch into our futures. Keep your hand on us now, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And somebody said amen. Amen. All right, thank you for being here. It's 8.15. Listen, also don't forget Saturday evening uh, from 4 until 6 over at Unity Baptist, 
we are celebrating Macy's graduation from high school. So that's a come and go. We'll have food there and fellowship. You're, all of you are invited to please come. Amen. Come and snack a little bit. You can come to Margot and talk to me. Amen. So don't forget that. Sister Sylvia, don't leave before you see me. Okay? Amen. Enjoyed it. Thanks for being here. Devin, good seeing you. You didn't even have your name tag on. I did too. <laughs>